crazy shit in your head. <laughs> and, you know, that's what talking about things and I've been able to see it in, you know, time after time with my clients. That's the, one of the biggest benefits of psychotherapy, I think, is that it's a safe place to talk about things. And we all have crazy shit in our heads. We, we all, we all do. I say that to my clients all the time. Like we're not here to talk about mine, but I got <laughs> mine too. Welcome to This Seriously Sucks, the right podcast when life goes seriously wrong. In these interview episodes, people who've been through major traumas and events that derailed their lives talk about times when they didn't want to go on and share how they did. All our guests are at least 10 years past their big this. They keep it real, pull no punches, and share what they wish they had known when they were in the middle of their this. Now, here is your host, the author of This Is Not The End, who knows what it feels like to want it to be the end, Nina Sossaman-Pogue. Yes, this is the right podcast when life goes seriously wrong, and I'm so glad you found us. Thanks for sharing some time here. On this podcast, we talk about some of the lowest moments in highly successful people's lives, or the major life events that maybe rock their world and how they got through them, because we can all learn from each other's stories of resilience. And today's guest is a psychotherapist, a relationship coach, and she's the author of four books, two of which are published already, two you got to wait for. Amy Carpenter brings 25 years of experience to her most recent book series, the Be Strong, Be Wise book series. And the framework in both of these books is based on her work with high schools, colleges, and organizations, as well as with her own wisdom gained through her own life and from parenting. Her articles have appeared in Psych Central, the Asana International Yoga Journal, the 3HO.org, where she's a contributing blogger. She was named Tumaine's Writer Publisher Alliance in 2018, and she lives up in Rockport, Maine, which is much cooler right now there than it is here, I am sure. She lives there with her husband and her daughter, and just so thrilled to have her on the show today. Amy, thank you for being with us. Hi, Nina. It's a delight to be here. Thank you. You know, I like to begin with the success part of our resumes, all the stuff we love to put out there to set the stage for talking about what we got through to get to those points. Because at one point in many of our lives, we could never see the success that we're having now because we've all gone through tough times. So I'd like to start there for you. And for you, those tough times, I'm guessing, started, what, as a teenager? I think for sure. When I mean, I remember when I was a teenager struggling with some really dark thoughts and some really difficult emotional challenges. I think that they were probably typical to a lot of teenagers. Um, so, you know, there was certainly some family issues going on and, and different social challenges, but uh, those were probably some of my darker moments that looking back, I just didn't know how to handle at the time. So later in life, you wrote this series, this recent series of books that you've been working on, and you go into this realm of sexual offenders and what young, what young people should be thinking about to make sure that they are not a victim of that. How did you get down that avenue? Is it from being a psychotherapist or from your own experience? Well, it's a little bit of both. Uh, I began my career at age 22 uh, in child welfare. And so I was a pretty naive young, you know, graduate from college and I began working with children um, who were at risk of various types of um, 
you know, child abuse and neglect, and of course, uh, sexual abuse as well. So I had some really tough cases. In fact, I remember my first case was one of the most notorious cases in the whole area office. And I had no idea why they gave it to me, but it was a rotation system. So that was the case I got. And I learned so much about um, recidivism for, for people who have experienced abuse themselves. I learned about assault response. I learned about uh, most importantly, the long-term effects of sexual violence, especially on young people who are still in the process of, you know, coming to full maturity. So that was where I began my career. And then throughout my life, I just, it wasn't intentional, but I never stopped caring greatly about young people and finding myself in various youth organizations. I became a, a school-based counselor in several high schools. I um, started several philanthropic organizations in my community that met the needs of children and family locally. And, uh, you know, it just, again, it wasn't intentional, but that's where my heart has always been is with children and young people. So throughout uh, my career as a psychotherapist, I've worked with a lot of women. And because of our assault rates against women, particularly, that means I worked with a lot of assault survivors. And I would say that's where I gained the bulk of my experience. I'm a, I'm a survivor myself, but I would say the bulk of my wisdom, if you will, and my professional understanding came from my work with my, my very courageous clients over the years. And that's such valuable knowledge to share on a show like this, because some people who may be listening may be just after being attacked or just after an incident. And what we want to bring out is this thought that you're not alone, that this does happen, and that this is not your fault. So for folks who are right in the thick of it, we call it your this, if this is what they're going through, what can you tell them? Oh, golly, there's so much I want to say. Um, yeah. I mean, first and foremost, recognize it's not your fault. There's an incredible amount of victim blaming that happens. And I think it's a part of our culture. I think it's a part of our language and our discourse that we haven't done away with yet. And we're really late in, deal in dealing with it. Uh, but it permeates our psyche. And it especially affects people who have just been victim to sexual assault. Um, and I, you know, a lot of times I hear in my practice, a lot of statements like, you know, if I hadn't been nice, if I hadn't worn that short skirt, if I hadn't had that extra drink, if I hadn't, you know, stayed back at the party after everybody left, like there's all these statements that are linked with that internalized shame, internalized sexism that are, you know, is a product of our culture and, and our upbringing. So, I would say the first and foremost thing is it is never your fault when you're hurt like that ever. And over time, that will become more clear. If it doesn't feel clear now, it will over time. And that is key. I always hate it when people say time heals all wounds and that the cliches, but the reality is it's not going to feel like it does right now. It's, and it doesn't have to be your whole story. It is just part of your story. It's one really tough chapter you're going to get through, but you have a whole long story ahead. And I think that's one of the things, especially for young people who find themselves in this situation, like it just seems like it's everything and it's defining them and life will never be okay again. 
it's hard to see five, 10 years down the road where this is just something you got through and you go on and life goes on. Yeah. 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 I, I agree. And I, you know, the, the other thing that is so important to keep in mind, and I think helps with that number one piece of advice is to, if you can talk about it, even with one other person, even if it's, uh, you know, a, a friend in your school, a classmate, a roommate, um, find somebody that you can tell the truth to, because that just makes it easier to, you know, begin to, first of all, work through it, share the experience, get that support, get that feedback, but also begin to, you know, really integrate the fact that it's, it's no one's fault, but the offenders, a hundred percent of the time. So it takes a while sometimes for people to talk about it. That's my experience. Sometimes it's just too painful. And the effects of trauma are such that the brain gets, um, has an immediate traumatic effect so that sometimes there's, there's difficulty talking about it. Uh, and so, you know, again, being patient and kind of doing whatever you need to do to take care of yourself until you feel like, you know what, I think I can just give a little bit of information to, you know, my friend or my parent or my, you know, um, trusted person in my life. And then things will begin to proceed from there. That's, that's a really important first step. Yeah. And I, I, I'm not a psychotherapist or a licensed professional, so I can use language you can't, but I always say you got to find one person to let all the crazy out too, like all the crazy shit going on in your head. You got to find one person to go, okay, I am thinking this, this is what sort of what happened, but also what you're thinking, because a lot of what we do is get stu stuck in that loop in our own head of replaying this. And then the blaming begins. And then we're using ugly language, talking about ourselves. And so that, that ability to just get one person doesn't have to be everybody, you know, you see those, some people put it out all over social media and tell the whole world, that's not really necessary. Just yeah. one person that you can kind of let all the crazy, scary thoughts in your head out to who right. you trust, who you trust to just be a listening ear. They don't even have to be the kind of person who has your answers. They can just be someone that you can speak out loud to. I do think, I agree with you there. That's a, a hundred percent, no matter what kind of trauma you go through, because usually what you're saying to yourself is not very nice. And, and if you can flip it around and talk, what would you say to a kid who went through this? You know, what would you say to a child who is going through whatever it is you're going through? Pretty sure you'd be a lot kinder than you are to yourself. Yeah, know? yeah. And I love that term. In fact, I think I can use it sometimes in my head and in, in various moments, but, you know, try to get rid of the crazy shit in your head. <laughs> and, you know, that's what talking about things. And I've been able to see it in, you know, time after time with my clients. That's the one of the biggest benefits of psychotherapy, I think, is that it's a safe place to talk about things. And we all have crazy shit in our heads. We all, we all do. I say that to my clients all the time. Like, we're not here to talk about mine, but I got <laughs> mine too. So, you know, the thing about talking about it is not only does it take it out of your head and into the world, but you begin to realize that you're not the only person. Unfortunately, there are so, so, so many people who have, have had similar experiences. And the more that we create normalcy, and that's one of my goals in writing the books, is um, we don't have a language for sexual safety. So the more that, and, and we need to give survivors a language for sexual safety and people who are trying to you know, prevent sexual violence. But you know, we begin to, to not normalize it, but we make it more accessible 
when we can just say this happens and we got to yeah. talk about it. And this so is what talk about it. Yeah. This is what we call it. And this is, you know, where we go from exactly. here. It's a process. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I, the stigma around it is so difficult um, for women and for, for men too. I mean, this, this is not a one-way street more, more often it is women, but it does happen to young men as well. And I think that we should include them in this conversation because if they're listening, it's not your fault. It's a hundred percent, not your fault. It is always the, the perpetrator's fault. So as you put this out into the world, and I keep thinking about someone who might be listening right now and I think there are people who get to a point where they feel like they just don't want this to be a part of them. Like they just want to go back. They don't want this to be part of their story. They don't want to tell anybody. I, I just don't want this to be part of me. I just can't move forward from here. And advice for them when they're stuck in that moment. You know, that's a great question. And I think that it's going to be a little bit different for each individual person because each individual person has a different way of taking care of themselves. And so I think if you're having something that, you know, is, is occupying your mind and your heart and is taking up some space that feels like really uncomfortable and painful, um, my understanding and experience is that the more we try to pretend it's not there, the bigger it gets. However, there's also an ability to kind of shrink it. You know, like these experiences, as awful as they are, are not the totality of our human existence and they don't define us. And you talk to some survivors like Tarana Burke, who's one of the most powerful spokespeople against sexual violence in our culture and is still running the Me Too movement out of Harlem, New York. You talk to somebody like that and you realize, you know, wow, this actually made her stronger. This made her a, an advocate like nobody else. And so, you know, when you're just going through it, you're not gonna feel that way. No. You know, Toronto didn't feel that way when she herself was on the heels of an assault. Um, but, you know, the, be patient and kind with yourself as you live with the experience in such a way that you try and, you know, make it, make it um, exist within the rest of your experiences and who you are as a person. So I always tell my clients, you know, there are times in life where we've got to broaden our circle. We've got to broaden that containment of our container of what gives us joy, what takes care of us on a day-by-day -day basis, who are the people that we spend time with, where are the places that we go, where are the activities that we do. These are the things that are so crucial when we've gone through trauma because they remind us, they're the mirrors, right, that remind us, the people and places or things that remind us of who we are at the core that is our essence beyond any experience. Absolutely. And the two other examples I always think of is Oprah and Lady Gaga. I mean, you look at these people who are out there who they had both had experiences young in their lives that they have overcome and have gone on. So if you're looking for people who are victims of sexual assault, uh, that don't see themselves as victims, but survivors, you know, those are the folks uh, that you want to emulate. And in my book, how, how I talk about uh, any type of trauma is there's a you before this happens, and then there's a you after this happens. And you're not the same person. This does change you. But all that good stuff that you were talking about, the where you like to go and things you like to do and your favorite foods and you're like, maybe you like the beach, all that gets to come with you. 
to the unit to the new you. And I see it as an opportunity when something big happens in your life, um, any kind of trauma. It's also an opportunity to get rid of some of the stuff you don't like. So if there's a person that is not best for you, or if there's something else going on in your life or location, no one looks at you funny when you make big changes after trauma. You actually have a license to kind of become whatever you want to be. So you can look at it that way as well. That's, that's a really beautiful reframe. I, I like that a lot. And I, you know, I think that there's an opportunity to love yourself in a different way because you have to, <laughs> you know, if you're in that, you know, kind of fragile place where you're walking around with a lot of anxiety or a lot of, you know, depression or fear, you know, is just to lean into what you need in those moments. You know, I call it kind of like that walking teardrop. You're like, you know, anytime we're feeling so fragile, we're like a walking teardrop. And we have to be very careful of where we put ourselves and who we talk to in those moments. And there's something kind of empowering about that. Because you can choose who you want to be around, the people who lift you up or pour into you in a good way. And you can choose who you don't want to be around. Uh, And that can make a big difference in your life as well. So along with the language and the people and places, there's that you don't get to be who you were before, but it doesn't have to be, you get to be better on the other side of it if you choose to be. Yeah. 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 So tell me about your book series and why that is so uh, important, not just to you, but important right now to all of us. Sure. So the story, I mean, there's a lot of pieces to the story, but I'll I'll be brief, I'll sum it up. So um, as I said, I've been working with survivors in my, in my therapy practice. And in 2019, when the Kavanaugh hearing took place, my, my clients went through a real difficult response to that, you know, as did many people, myself included. So for survivors, it was a difficult thing to happen on the heels of the Me Too movement. I think if Me Too hadn't just happened, and we were still in the, you know, the momentum of that period of time, then it wouldn't have been so difficult. But anyway, I, as, as a, you know, writer, I've always approached writing and research as a way of managing things that are overwhelming or that don't make sense. And so I I started working on an article uh, and it was titled the invisible master of ceremonies, sexual trauma and the shaping of identity, which is kind of a heady title, but The reason why I use that that term is because in treating assault survivors, and the research backs this up, um, and Dr. Ruth Campbell is a great person to refer to. She's done a lot of research on the effects of trauma. The, The brain changes. There are impacts to the brain on the heels of trauma that don't affect cognition, cognition, don't affect intelligence at all. So nobody has to worry that, you know, there it's not brain damage. It's just that your fight or flight system changes. And, um, and that, you know, has an imprint on who you are in the world and how you conduct yourself. And so I I wanted to speak to that in this article. Anyway, I was in the midst of writing it when uh, my daughter was sexually assaulted while volunteering at a church soup kitchen in our community. And uh, the story of her assault, which is in both of my books, so, so people are welcome to read them, but um, the, the story of that assault was a very unique situation um, in that there were 50 people surrounding her in that moment or d- that day. And still the offender found a way to lure her into the hallway where he touched her inappropriately. 
So, uh, so here I was in the midst of writing this article, trying to help my clients, you know, doing uh, what I do as a writer and as a clinician. And suddenly I realized what it's like as a parent to go through the experience. And it was, it was unlike anything I had ever gone through as a parent. I mean, we all go through things. We see our kids get hurt, but this was a particular um, emotional challenge that, that really took me several weeks to, to get through. So I started to just look at the whole thing differently. I realized I'd spent you know 25 years responding to assault and maybe I could do something to help prevent it. Um, I started scrambling to find resources for my my 17 year old daughter who was getting ready to go off to college, and you know here I, I noticed that um, I had underprepared her. I had to come face to face with the fact that I had underprepared her. So, you know, I trying to research and research, and I found so little in the area of prevention. A lot, you know, there's a lot of bullet point lists. There are different, you know short segments put up by orientation staff. And um, there's lots of books that are fictional, you know, accounts of, of assault and survivor stories, but nothing that was comprehensive. So I, I felt like, uh, you know, this calling rise up. I've done a lot of work. I've done a lot of research. I need to come up with something. And what, what happened was very beautiful because the, the five step curriculum, if you will, that, that um, I developed over the next several months of, of doing research and meditation and writing is, um, I think, really unique because it focuses on individual empowerment and individual awareness. So, so that is really how it all came to be. The books now are, uh, the first book is Two and Four Young People, and the second book is two and four caring adults, such as parents or counselors who wanna offer the curriculum to their young people that they care about. Uh, so, so that's how it, it, it came to be. I'm a survivor too, as I mentioned, and my story is in, also in both books. Um, I was assaulted in childhood. And so, um, you know, I can speak to the effects of trauma on the developing brain because I have certain, um, you know, startle responses that I know are, are directly a result of that event. So yeah, so I talk about that too. Yeah, I like your thought around responding and preventing. Um, and we have similar stories. It's how my book journey began actually when it came time to write. I wrote the book that I was looking for, uh, you know, 17 years ago when I stood after a trauma, stood in Barnes and Noble and stared at the shelves and said, somebody tell me what to do. And there's all these books on PTSD and all these thick journals and all this really heavy workbooks yeah. and stuff. And like yeah. someone and I, everybody else's story. I'm like, I don't want your story. I need somebody to tell me what to yeah. do. Yeah. So that was the impetus for my book. So very similar. I wanted to be, be preventative instead of responsive. It's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, love I, that. I, was, I wanted to write the book that I was looking for. I love that. That's exactly how it went. Yeah. yeah. I wanted it to be conversational and really down to earth so that any teenager from like 13 on could pick it up and be like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's what mine and the same yeah. thing. I just wanted it to be short, thin. I didn't want it to be thick and look like it was too much. Yeah. I actually wanted to name it, uh, get past this, you know, or, or don't jump off the bridge, pick this up first or something like that. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. Just that's to try great. to, to put it out there in like big red letters. So really interesting the way your book journey began. We definitely have that in common. 
back to this topic for a moment, and then we'll get to our final three questions. This has been lovely to catch up with you. Uh, so your daughter, I'm guessing, is about the same age as mine. Mine's 21 now. She'll be 22 actually next month. How old is your daughter now? She's 19. She'll be 20 at the end of June. Okay, so she's still in that college journey. And I wanted to take it there for a moment since we both have girls in college and the world is a very different place than it was even when we went to college. Uh, what, what would you say um, is probably the biggest red flag or the best thing you can tell to someone? Maybe they're already, let's do this. Let's go, let's consider someone who maybe already had an instance that they are questioning. Like maybe it wasn't a full-on rape or a, a very violent assault, but they know this person makes them uncomfortable yet they're around them. What do you tell that young person listening right now who is in a situation that they're, they're afraid could become something worse? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say probably the most fundamental basic thing I could possibly say, and that is um, come up with a script for yourself of what you want to say to that person that establishes a boundary. Um, and this is, this is something that is, I've, I've seen in my, my own child, but I've seen in a lot of young people where um, they've, you know, we've all been so conditioned to be nice, especially women, right? Um, and I've seen young men, because my course is for young men too. And I've had young men say, well, I didn't want to be rude. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they had like maybe an older woman that was being provocative and making them uncomfortable. And they said, well, I didn't want to be rude. So I didn't know what to say. I just stood there. And I think that happens a lot. We don't know what to say and we just kind of stand there. So developing a script for yourself that can be as simple as I'm uncomfortable, you know, or uh, I got to go, or I got to call my roommate, you know, anything that gets you out of that situation or lets that person know, you know, you're, you're making me uncomfortable right now. I need to leave. So as simple as that sounds in the moment, especially when we, again, we go into that fight, flight or freeze mode with our our brain reaction, it's hard to know what to do. So having something ahead of time and even role-playing it with, you know, with your friends, having something that, you know, this is what I would do that, that feels right for me and practice it. That tricks the brain uh, into knowing what it would do in that situation the next time it presents itself. That is brilliant advice. Similar to what I say in my book, you've got to come up with a script. I talk about after something happens to protect yourself when everybody wants to talk about it again, you know, but for this type of script, write it down, say it out loud. Even if you say it out loud to yourself in the mirror, something in your brain changes when you say the words out loud, and then it'll come out a little easier when you need it. So yeah, that is excellent advice. Thank you so much. And I think that, um, you know, I can just, I mean, I picture my daughter and all her friends. I just, they're seniors this year. They've made it through college. I'm so thankful. Uh, they're graduating next month, but I think of probably all the awkward situations that they've been in and uh, hoping that they've been able to handle themselves. You know, you try to prepare them to go off to college. So that's great advice. Well, uh, we wrap up each show with the same three questions and I'm going to put them to you Um as I would all of our guests, but you can put your spin on them since you are a psychotherapist and you know more than just someone who has survived this. Uh, so the first one is, uh, what would you say to your younger self if you could go back and whisper in your ear? So I don't know if this is your younger self as a child when something happened to you or just your younger self as an awkward teenager like we all were, but what would you say to your younger self if you could go whisper in your ear at a tough moment? Mm, I love this question. Um... Well, I think I would say a, a couple different things, but you know, one of the one of the statements I've made to 
teenagers I've worked with over time is, you know, love yourself. What is it that helps you? This goes back to my, you know, container statement I made earlier around like the people, places and things that remind you of who you are. And when you're going through a, a tough time, those are the things that will ground you. Those are the things that will sustain you as you're making your way through a tough moment. But you know, the one relationship in our lives that is constant is our relationship with ourselves. So it's so important. And you know, we kind of trot around a lot of you know statements like self-care and take care of yourself and be good to yourself. But you know, beneath those words is such an important practice or approach to life that actually can save our lives if we're in the midst of a really difficult time. So I would, I would say that I would say, you know, find your mirrors in the way of people, the people that you trust, even if it's only one other person, that one other person can make the difference between a really lonely, devastating time and feeling like you have support. So look to, you know, your, your people. And, you know, I think finding some kind of an outlet, this goes back to when, when things are tough, finding some kind of, whether it be a creative pursuit something that makes you feel joy, even if it's just for a, a, a minute, you know, something that lights you up. That's your own particular life force energy. That's like getting turned on like a light switch and nobody else possesses that but you. So whatever that thing is, you deserve to give it to yourself um, all the time, but especially when you're, when you're in difficult moments. That is excellent. Yeah. And, and for you, what was your what, what ended up being your outlet? Do you have a, a thing that you do well, or something? It's funny because I was just doing some kind of a personality test or something with my husband. And, um, oh yeah, we were reading, we were reading a book together and uh, it asked that very same question. And mine for me has always been writing from the time I was 10. I was writing novels when I was 10. It just, it would, it was a world I could go into where nothing could find me. And it was me with me. Yeah. And writing was always been a way that connected me with myself. So, so I would th say that's my, my joy spot. Yeah. Mine has always been um, being athletic, whether it was like I, I wanted to be in the gym uh, when I was a gymnast or even after when I was a gymnast, I got into bodybuilding. I just needed to physically be moving. And then I got into triathlons. Then I got into distance cycling, like through my whole life. I, that time alone in my own head, pushing myself was where I found my peace. Yeah. So we all have those places. Great answer. Okay. Next question. Uh, one thing, you know, now that you wish you had known when you were younger and going through tough times. Well, I think that we've, you know, we've come to this statement again and again, which is great because it's probably one of the most important statements to make. And that is, you know, our, our vulnerability as Brene Brown would say is also our greatest courage. So the things that we go through, that cause us the most pain or challenge or upset, you know, when you are able to do the things that we've talked about, you know, reach out to somebody else, take care of yourself, love yourself, you know, find your mirrors. When you're able to do those things, you do realize that it's what actually makes you stronger. Having those, you know, which is not to glorify them by any stretch of the imagination, but every single human has a story that involves pain and suffering. Every single human on earth. So we wouldn't survive on a species as a species if we weren't able to take those experiences and grow from them. So I just can say that having seen it in my own life, but also seeing it in the survivors I work with, it's just so true. So Absolutely. that's what I would say, have faith. That is going to be your biggest strength one day. 
you know, it's just, it's just hard to know it in the moment. Yeah. And some people we've had on this show have just such unbelievable stories of overcoming things. And they're some of the strongest people I've ever met. And a lot of them refer to it as their superpower. That's when they gained their superpower. So in their very darkest moments. So it is fascinating that how these very difficult times can, the very lowest times can create very high highs. Okay. The last question. Um, One thing that our listeners can do today Uh, It's an action, a thought, something they can do today to move forward, to help them get through their own big this, whatever it is they're going through. Yeah, well, we, you know, we've talked a lot about some coping mechanisms, so I won't repeat myself on some of the things that I've already suggested, but what you just said made me think of um, in answer to the last question, something that I think is, is really important. Um, And that is that in order to overcome our difficult experiences, I do think we've got to kind of go into them a little bit. We've got to muck around in that pain body, as Eckhart Tolle would call it, or that, you know, hurt place and look at how that particular experience affected us. And sometimes that's the hardest thing because it's where, where we feel pain. It's where we feel the most fear or the most vulnerability. So Again, it doesn't have to happen, nor necessarily should it, you know, if you've just gone through something as traumatic as sexual assault, but at some point you're going to want to go into that story and make it your own. So, so I would say, you know, that's where psychotherapy, I think can really help, but there's lots of modalities that work. Um, I've done some of my best processing hiking mountains. I'm, I'm a hiker. So I, like you say, you know, we inhabit our bodies. We are Um, We are spiritual beings in physical form. So a lot of that internal work happens in the vessel, in the vehicle of our physical body. So even if you're out running or uh, hiking and you want to just give some time and space to thinking about your own reactions to that difficult thing, it's going to help you claim it. It's going to help you make it your superpower. So even though it's hard to do, I think that's a really important step. And that makes me think as we put together this podcast, that if a listener is like me and usually does their walk or their cycling or whatever, and you're listening to something like this, maybe after this episode is the time to turn that off and let your brain do some of that work while you're moving. Because I I do find sometimes when I turn my whatever it is I'm listening to, whether it's a book or something off, my brain starts doing that work that you were just talking about. And sometimes I'm up for it. Sometimes I'm not. But uh, yeah, that that quiet time when you're alone with yourself, whether it's while you're writing or doing something physical or hiking or whatever. Yeah, that's that's where stream of consciousness writing is really good too. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. with the scenario you're pointing out, if you've just gotten those juices flowing, your endorphins are up and you're feeling, you know, energized, just sitting down and without editing yourself, setting a timer for five minutes and just free form write without stopping, um, you know, around whatever it is you want to explore. You know, what are my feelings about this? Or how did I respond to that? It's amazing what you can get. Yeah, that goes back to some of the crazy shit in my head that comes out. (laughs) (laughs) But it's healthy. It's healthy. It's less crazy when we can write about it and then think about it. Yes, exactly. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us. I'm sure that some of the things you said uh, resonated with our listeners. So how can they follow you and support you in any way? 
Sure. So my website is bestrongbewise.com and that is where you can uh, contact me. You can also download the books. Um, so everything is there. If you wanted to reach out by email, I am totally happy to talk to, to anyone who's struggling with any of these issues. So I'm at amy at bestrongbewise.com. So Super. be strong, be wise is pretty much how you find me. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. And I, I actually Googled that before this to find more information about you and it was came right up. So your SEO is working. Yeah. And I will put that in the notes to this uh, podcast as well. So if you're listening, you can always click in there and see in the notes and you'll have Amy's contact information. So once again, thank you, Amy, for being here. Thank oh, you everyone you. for listening. It is when we talk about the tough stuff that we all get stronger. So whatever you're going through, you've got this. The you 10 years from now, the you 10 years from now is counting on you to get through this. Beautifully said. This has been another episode of This Seriously Sucks. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Nina Sossaman Pogue and her guests. They are not a substitute for professional advice. If you are experiencing suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK or send a text to www.crisistextline.org. For more resources or to share your story or to get a free copy of my book, go to mythis.club. There's a whole club of folks out there who want to help you get through this.